You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to assist and help you make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. If you want to call during the show and ask a question or make a comment, please do so. You can dial in. Uh, as this is a live program, you can dial in at one 472 That's 866-472-5790. Or shoot us an email at the following address, contact at empiradio.com, contact at empiradio.com. And if you're a personal investor or a financial advisor anywhere in the country, and you are interested in finding out more about how Empirical works with individuals to develop financial plans and investment strategies, uh, or an advisor looking to connect with a company like Empirical, you can give us a call at 1-800-923-4307 throughout the week. Feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan. Ethan is doing a presentation today uh, in the area, so he will not be participating in today's radio show it'll just be simon and myself right so good 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 to see you hopefully we can uh carry the load here and uh fill those rather large shoes that ethan has (laughs) so last week um simon on the show we ended we were talking about retiring abroad and i just want to make a couple of uh, comments that i didn't get to finish because we ran out of time about that and I want to talk about today, the market was down quite a bit. And so uh, I've been reading some interesting investment articles um, that I thought I would share about putting into perspective today's volatile market. It's just been was eating lunch with a, another advisor today, and we were just talking about how this is such a trying time in history, in market history. Um, and so long ago, the days of the market just going up and up and up, it seems like we always hit some kind of a setback. And then we had a, uh, a listener question, Simon, from Sarah in Seattle. I wanted to address, and it was related to cash. Um, and so I want to talk about that as well. How does that sound to you? Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's do it. And, uh, well, let's start with the retire, finishing up the retirement abroad scenario. So I was explaining last week, um, that a lot of people, according to the U.S. Department of State and the Bureau of Consular Affairs, uh, are looking into retirement abroad, probably uh, partially because of uh, the ability to retire in, in some of the emerging uh, markets and uh, do so at a uh, maybe a more reasonable price. So, Simon, I know with the market the way it's been, people are probably looking for better value. And uh, a couple of things we were talking about, we're making sure you know the local laws, particularly property 
rights in the areas that you're going to if you're thinking about buying a property, preparing your finances and understanding you know what your budget will be, and whether or not exchange rate fluctuations would have a negative uh, or positive effect on your ability to maintain your lifestyle in the country that you're going into, or if some sort of hedging strategy uh, would be necessary. So particularly if you're receiving some sort of a pension or your investments are going to remain in dollar-denominated assets, you just want to understand or meet with a financial advisor to talk about that. We talked about paying your taxes and uh, the, uh, the, the strong recommendation to speak to your tax professional and talk about the implications of moving to the foreign country and whether or not you will have uh, t- taxation. But either way, according to the U.S. Department of State, you need to file a tax return even if there's a tax treaty and you're not required to pay tax in the United States based on the country that you go to. And what we didn't get to uh, was understanding your Social Security benefits. And I thought this was pretty interesting, Simon, the idea that in certain countries – you uh, you may not be able to receive your Social Security benefits. So if you are a retiree and you are thinking about, and I went on, if you go to the site, um, you can go to the Social Security Administration's Office of International Operations, and you can click in there, and they have uh, a little country seg- selection tool, and you can pick. And I picked a few countries to see. Uh, you know, well, geez, if I move to these locations and I thought, you know, I checked Afghanistan, for example, you can move and retire to Afghanistan, Simon, if that's a place that you've been longing to uh, take a, a vacation. I'm sure you could live high on the hog there. Uh, might get a little dangerous at times. But if you go to Iran or if you were thinking about going to Cuba because of the, you want fine cigars or whatever it is, um, you would not be able to receive your Social Security payments there. So I think that's something interesting I would definitely check out if I was thinking about moving. And the, the other critical important thing I would want to know is what the medical care options are and the costs. And we talked a little bit about the need for estate planning. Um, how would you handle, usually here we have in the United States, you've got a set of documents and we recommend having a living will and within that there's a health care directive and you have your powers of attorney and so you'd want to make sure that all of those documents um, are covered in whatever country you're going to and so health care certainly is a big issue for people who are who are retiring and thinking of moving abroad and uh, you have medicare right the u.s government plan for people 65 and over does not cover health care overseas so many countries have national health systems but it's important to investigate the availability and the quality before you go. And uh, environmental conditions uh, may affect your health. Um, maybe there's more pollution, humidity, or other conditions that you would want to be aware of. And so you want to also consult your physician before you head on over there for, for your glorious retirement, Simon. Sounds like that'll work. Yeah, so I would want to take a look at um, your health insurance and see what is covered or not covered um, in the event that you do need to evacuate as well. They recommend if you need to get evacuated to the United States. So they give the uh, different site for that as well. 
And uh, always, as always, I think here and abroad, beware of scams. So retirement funds are definitely an attractive target for scammers uh, who make false promises, according to the article, this is not me, Simon, of romance, friendship, <laughs> or financial gain. Scammers operate uh, primarily via the Internet, email, and phone. So you definitely want to be uh, cognizant and aware, and we know a lot of the elderly tend to be targets of these types of things. So those were the key issues um, with regard to that, the idea of retiring abroad. And I definitely would include my financial advisors and tax professionals as well as estate planning attorneys, the whole wealth team that you've got into that decision-making process to map it out. All right, Simon. How does that sound? Good? Good yeah, stuff? sounds like plan. Sounds like a... Uh, Dogs are skidding or have been skidding on some good Uh-oh. economic We've got some data. news coming in here. tell you all about it right here, right now. Uh, um, news, uh, I don't know where that's coming Welcome. from. Welcome. I'm Simon Constable. Mike Santoli joins us from Barron. All right. Um, I'm not sure where that came from, Simon, but uh, something I must have had up. The market was down 250 points today. There uh, was some poor economic data that came in, and uh, from day to day, Simon, the market's fluctuating. I think the market was doing quite well from the low point. I think June 4th, we've had had quite a rebound, uh, partially according to best explanations available, uh, the idea that there was going to be some pretty aggressive um, Fed intervention there and expansion, but the news from there didn't seem to make Wall Street very happy. The twist program being the main thing where they are uh, looking to purchase uh, longer-term debt and uh, sell short-term debt to keep long-term interest rates low. And some of the other data. And because of that, when you see 250-point drops in one particular day, I think it, it rattles investors' nerves. And because of that, I thought I would... We would talk a little bit about um, some of the articles that I've been reading, a couple on, uh, um, we were talking last couple weeks about biased financial advice and why even though it's the, uh, in the survey that was done, why the investors who were sent in to experiment into these financial professionals and and, uh, were told that the advice that they were given was poor advice still were inclined to take that advice. And I think in large part, what we talked about was the fact that we like to get advice that sounds good and kind of scratches us where we're itching. Makes us feel, if we're feeling negative and we go in and get advice from someone, regardless of how bad it is, that addresses our feelings, we tend to be put more stock in that advice. And I was looking up, a couple of quotes that I had read quite a while ago, Simon, from uh, one of the most famous uh, historical figures of investors, Benjamin Graham. He was uh, a teacher to none other than Warren Buffett, who's one of the most, not only most wealthy, but famous investors uh, in, in history. And Benjamin Graham became known as kind of the father of security analysis and value investing. And one of my favorite quotes that I found that that he uh, put out 
uh, is most of the time, common stocks are subject to irrational and excessive price fluctuations in both directions as the consequence of ingrained tendency of most people to speculate or gamble to give way to hope, fear, and greed. And he goes on another quote, the individual investor should act consistently as an investor and not as a speculator. This means that he should not be able to justify every purchase that he should be able to justify every purchase he makes, each price he pays by impersonal objective reasoning that satisfies him that he is getting more than his money's worth for his purchase. Well, in reality, uh, I think, let me give you one more. Uh, Wall Street people learn nothing and forget everything. And so we were talking about knowing your market history last week a little bit on the show and how you, if you do so, you would be a lot less shocked, I think, in what goes on day to day in the market and what the media does to uh, arouse our emotions and how that causes investors. And there's a great paper I was just reading uh, that Vanguard put out called Advisors Alpha. And they talk about how uh, poor decision making gets made. Now, I want to talk about that a little bit as we progress through the show here, Simon. But, um, but the idea that in the short term, um, and another area where <clears throat> Graham said that basically price fluctuations have only one significant meaning for the true investor. They provide him an opportunity to buy wisely when prices fall sharply and sell wisely when they advance a great deal. At other times, he will do better if he forgets about the stock market. Um, and our view is that you develop a strategy a diversified strategy that eliminates some of the catastrophic risk of owning too few securities or being too focused in any one sector of the market and has the right combination of, of risk in terms of how much volatility, how much decline would you experience during a market drop and how would that bode with your emotional state but also your financial ability to weight that decline out and to still be able to give you the best opportunity to meet all of your objectives. And in my view, and, and that view happens to be supported by an enormous amount of empirical data, the best approach is one in which you ignore the day-to-day -day news. Each particular economic uh, release that gets done, and then the market's going to do what it's going to do, and then the media is going to make it into um, either an overly optimistic scenario or an overly pessimistic every time the market goes down they try to explain why after the fact and it's usually with very colorful words like the market crashed the market collapses the market slumps all these things and then they show pictures of people in in utter dismay but you're best served to avoid that and in my view and i'm going to support this with some of these articles here when we come back from from the break we'll, we'll take here shortly in my view, the best value that if you are a financial advisor that you can add or if you're an individual investor using one that you can derive is developing a long-term strategy that will get you through these topsy-turvy times, the volatile and sometimes very, very testing markets like we are experiencing and have experienced in recent times. As much as it seems like we won't have good markets again in the future. Um, every time we've gone through this, 
the opposite happens, and it's usually at the point when everyone's ready to give up on the stock and bond markets. So, I don't know how much time we have here, a couple of minutes. Um, before we get into uh, some of these articles that I wanted to read, Simon, I want to address maybe the question here. So, we had a question from one of our listeners, Sarah. She said, hey, I've got cash. Um, I'd like to put it somewhere. It's been sitting in my bank account, and 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 but I don't earn a lot of interest. So I had one of our research assistants look up uh, here locally. What what uh, what are some of the interest rates out there? And other than small caps, where you put the first five hundred dollars, even at credit unions like BEC, Boeing, um, you know, if you put five hundred dollars, you get six percent on the first five hundred, and then after that, it quickly drops to point zero five. Um, others have interest uh, intro introductory rates that last for a short period of time. And I had a client who was at his bank, and they were saying, "Hey, you know, we're not paying a whole heck of a lot of interest, but you've got this cash sitting there. Why don't you start buying tax-free bonds?" And I, I think it's important to understand and not be tempted to take cash that was put into a reserve position. Uh, and we recommend typically six months to even a year potentially of, uh, depending on if you're running a business or you have rental properties or things that can have uh, unexpected calls on your capital. Um, the greater those types of things, the greater the risk of your job or instability in your income, the greater you would want to have a cash reserve. And as painful as it is that you're not getting a lot of interest um, having it in a general savings or checking account. And I'm looking across all the major brokerage companies, but also the banks here, what they're offering in terms of checking and interest-paying savings. Very, very low. The alternative side of that is that we can borrow for pretty cheap. So um, I would spend some time looking at my debt if I'm carrying any on my, my primary residence or properties that I own and considering refinancing that at historically low interest rates uh, and put some energy in that before I would worry too much about pulling my safety money out of my bank account and putting it into riskier securities. Because certainly when you're buying, you move into buying corporate bonds or, or municipal bonds, you're moving into a different category of risk. And so you'd want to be very clear on what you are doing there and very aware that I think advice that comes out of um any institution where there's going to be a transaction or commission based for selling a particular product um, is not the best way to get that that advice. Uh, yeah, I, more so, you should look in the context of your entire investment strategy and how does this cash fit in and how do municipal bonds fit in versus, hey, you've got money sitting in the bank, maybe you should be putting that into something that pays more. It's not really an appropriate way of modeling that. So my advice to you, Sarah, would be that you make sure you have your six months to a year's worth of emergency funds and keep that in something that's very safe and liquid. And CDs, maybe you have you know something that is uh, zero to six months um, laddered out in CDs that you can get a little bit better interest rate on or a preferred money market that you have a higher rate. But I certainly wouldn't start putting it into high-yielding bonds or junk bonds or things like that if it's your safety money. 
We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Hi, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Ken Smith, and Ethan is out today. So Simon Liu and I are here together talking about financial financial advice. And uh, Simon, going into the break, we were talking about, or at least I was talking about, um, cash and uh, the fact that uh, it, while it is disconcerting that you don't earn a lot of interest um, certainly, you don't want to be in cash simply because you are afraid of the stock market. I, I have a saying that I use, which is there is never a bad time to take a prudent strategy. So it's one thing to get out of an approach that wasn't sound, um, wasn't 
well grounded in investment principles and abandon that and put your money in cash until you can get your head straight and figure out what the appropriate way to invest is. So if you were speculating on hot sectors or randomly moving in and out of asset classes or having a stock picker pick stocks, it's never a bad time to get out of those strategies. And until you can figure out what is the best approach that uh, moves me away from the speculation side of the markets and over to the investor side, the difference being the investor side has a positive expected return, keyword and emphasis on expected, not guaranteed, uh, where speculation tends to have a negative expected return. And my analogies on that are walking into a casino, you are a speculator because the odds, while people do win the lottery and do win at casinos occasionally, you do not go in with a positive expected return because the odds and the payouts are set in the house's favor. So it is very possible to take the investment markets and restack the odds against yourself and become a speculator. And what comes with that speculation certainly is the opportunity to win large if the gamble pays off. But the reverse of that is that you can lose and over the long term, the majority of speculators in the market do lose. They they uh, lose to those insurmountable odds. So investing is partnering with companies, living, breathing companies that are issuing stock or equity in, in, in hopes of growing and or debt um, or governments that are issuing debt, for example. You are partnering with those entities with the idea that they have a viable business model. And in our view, because so many companies fail and even governments and countries fail, what the market has taught us and has been academically proven is that it is best to avoid favoring one over the other. There are certain characteristics in the stock and bond markets that we can look at and say, these groups of stocks, because they carry more risk or because there is some feature about them, has a greater amount of risk and or return. Um, and I may choose to wait. And we talked just in the last few episodes about the research done on size and value effects at small companies historically over a long enough time, and it is a pretty long time period, have generated higher rates of return for the risk that they carry. And value companies are stressed companies. And we talked about Benjamin Graham. We talked about Warren Buffett. They've both been successful investors, and they are value investors. Uh, these are companies that, in order to buy companies cheap, a lot of times you get them cheap because the rest of the market doesn't see them as the high-flying growth stocks. The current Facebook would be a good analogy of a growth stock. Not a lot of solid assets or earnings to justify that current price, but everyone seems to believe that those the revenues are very highly likely to come in versus a company that uh, is struggling, is faltering. Maybe they don't have a great uh, technology, or but they're in a core business, and uh, they're trading at maybe 
seven or eight or nine times earnings and have a very high dividend ratio. Historically, those companies have paid higher returns, and there are a few other factors that have contributed. But if you use those to your advantage, um, the smart investor will diversify away from individual company-specific risk to target those categories. So um, just, a, just a word on, on the difference between investing and, and gambling. And for our clients, we want to be in the investment category. We want to have positive expected returns. We want to be aware of the types of risk we are taking. And wherever possible, you want to eliminate with the money that's meaningful to you, you want to eliminate the catastrophic potential of any one single company or industry disappearing or even country. And uh, we talked a little bit about Japan and its 28-year market decline. So I wanted to uh, comment on an article that was forwarded to me. It appeared in uh, Forbes by a contributor. His name is Rick Ferry. He's written some books. And uh, the title of the article, uh, this was just last week, Fantasy Alpha and Your Portfolio. And uh, Rick goes on to talk about passive investing. And he says, passive investing is a dull conversation at any party. No one attracts a crowd by talking about this prudent, successful, watch-the-grass-growth strategy. It's much more exciting and intoxicating to listen to tales of big winnings from speculation because they create alpha fantasies. You could be next. Does seeking an alpha fantasy make sense in your life? One reader asks. So, Simon, I just want to pause and explain uh, what alpha is. In most contexts, alpha simply is a reference to beating the market and doing it without taking on additional risk, where beta tends to be referred to as the return you get for taking a particular market risk. So if you hear that word alpha tossed around day to day or as you're reading things or as maybe you're being pitched investments, and the idea being that we're going to the investment is going to add some sort of alpha. The idea or the notion about that is that you're trying to add return over some benchmark and ideally you're doing it or the, the kind of the inherent definition of it is you're not taking on additional risk. So if there's risk and it's measured risk that you can take to increase return, that's not, not alpha. So if we take a, a total stock market portfolio and we said, well, if I own the total stock market index, maybe I'm getting 6% to 10% of it is winds up being in small companies. And we were just saying how small companies and value companies have done better over the long run. So if I added to that 6% and I tweaked my index, I bought a second index and I split the money between the total stock market and then I put half of it into a small cap index, by nature of that portfolio, I should expect a higher return. And if I get it, over the total stock market index over the next 10 or 20 years. I shouldn't pat necessarily the manager on the back uh, who was buying the small cap stocks because small caps as a group should have outperformed if they do what they're supposed to do. That's not alpha. That's more of a beta explanation of where where you got return for, how you enhance return in that portfolio. Okay, so here he goes on, and the question that he gets is, I'm a subscriber to your blog, and I liken it to a good reminder every now and then 
to stick to passive investing. However, I wonder if you have addressed the idea of a hybrid portfolio, such as 80% passive and 20% active. The active is there if only to make the investor feel like he or she can add alpha, but leave most of the portfolio to beta. And then Rick goes on to say, hey, I have many answers to this question. Some may surprise you. So number one, I'm glad the reader feels he or she can add alpha rather than saying they can they can add alpha. I'm not quite sure what that means. He or she can add alpha rather than saying they can add alpha. Feeling skillful and being skillful are two different things. Beating the market is much harder than it seems. I feel I could be a pro golfer after watching Tiger Woods on television, but reality strikes the next time I get on the course. Number two, don't confuse probable with possible. It's possible you are a hidden gem in the investment business, but it's not probable. Perhaps Warren Buffett's genes are in your bloodline and you didn't know it. It is possible you'll be the next Oracle of Omaha. It's just not probable. Number three, markets may not be efficient, but they're efficient enough to beat most investors. There's no academic evidence that active managers as a group outperform in any asset class, any style or industry sector. There have been times when the majority of managers, uh, when a majority of managers do beat index funds, but they don't do it by much and not for very long. See the power of passing and passive investing for all the facts and figures in the active versus passive debate. So, Number four, it takes superior information to earn a superior return. Most people don't have superior information or any way of getting it. They only think they do. Overconfidence is reinforced when an investor makes money. However, guessing correctly does not mean you are informed, smart, or skilled because every investment will either go up or down after you buy it. I'm going to pause there. And Ethan just walked in. Hey. Again, good to see you, Ethan. Good, good to be here. Sorry, I'm late. Glad. Hey, no problem. You're a busy guy. You're a mover and a shaker. You don't always have time for things like radio programs. Like <laughs> I was working hard though. I was yeah. over in, in Bellevue with the Schwab office there doing a, a presentation on our re- retirement advantage program. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, did it go well? I think it did. Good. Well, what we're talking about here. Have a beverage while you're at it. I'm thirsty. Yeah, you're very parched. Um, what we we're talking about is I was reading the article from Rick Ferry. Fantasy Alpha in your portfolio. Okay. Um, and uh, I was going through his answers to the question. Hey, I, the, one of the subscriber, his blog followers said, hey, I understand that passive really is the ultimately a better way to go. But what about the idea of mixing passive with active, maybe putting a hybrid portfolio together? And so he was kind of going through some of his bullet points on thinking that through. And number four here was the idea that most people don't have superior information. And I think I'd like to pause here for a sec, Ethan, have you join in on this. Great. I think a lot of people don't understand that in order to beat the market, you do need to, it's not about the market always being efficiently priced and that it always reflects the exact long-term fair value of some particular asset. Right. It's getting ahead of the other investors that's important. And the only way I'm aware of doing that is having a superior access to information or a better ability to interpret the information that's out there. Mm-hmm. And most of us do not get access to superior information. Um, and so if we really thought it through, reading an article that 
Facebook was a good investment and it's coming out or the fact that you use it does not give you superior information or make that market-beating investment idea. Right. And a market-beating investment idea. Ultimately, those securities should be priced uh, relative to their risk and generate that commensurate return. Now, he talks about the fact that many of us, um, if we happen to guess correctly, we immediately believe we're smarter, we're skilled. When there was a 50-50 chance we would be right, right off the bat, right? Yeah. Hey, if I buy this stock, there is a chance that it will beat the stock market or, or do well for the period of time that I hold it. Just as there's a chance that it won't. Most of us don't really understand because it's not built into our um, typical uh, operating system in our brains of calculating complicated probabilities. When we're making day-to-day decisions, we make very quick gut instinctual shortcuts to make these decisions. So we don't compute out those probabilities and make rational, always rational. We do say, hey, I think this will go up. I read a positive article. But it's important to understand that reading a positive article or a research um, report on a particular company has very, very little to do with you ultimately get gaining superior investment results mm-hmm. because everybody has that information. That's right. So you really, really need to have superior information. And so picking that's why picking stocks in the long run uh, or timing in and out of stock markets or, or thinking any of those types of things work while well, they seem intuitively like they should work. And sometimes our intuitions come right. You know, we made a, a, a prediction and all of a sudden the market, I thought it was going to go down and it wound up going down more. Does not mean that when you start applying that to a real portfolio, it's a great idea or that it will actually work over the long run. And right. if you look at the results and the studies, you would be a lot more inclined to to abandon those those types of approaches. And his thing number five was bet on alpha with bingo money, not serious money. So use the bingo money to gamble with, not 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 house money. Right. Um, sounds like we got to take a quick break. I hear the when we come back. I want to talk about the article, this advisor's alpha article that uh, Vanguard put out. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, joining in late today. Um, before we go on with the next segment of the show, I thought I'd give it our contact information. As a reminder, this is a, a live recording, and if you would like to join us on the show, perhaps uh, ask a question that's related to the topic at hand, or perhaps you have a different question you'd like to ask, feel free to give us a call. The number there is 866-472-5790. Uh, or if you prefer email, we can be reached at contact at empiradio.com. And Ken, uh, before the break, uh, we were just finishing up a Forbes article that you were you were reading, and uh, I think for this section we're going to talk about a different uh, study. Is that right? From Vanguard? Yeah, I just I was meeting with a, a mutual, uh, an ETF representative, and he had said, hey, you might want to check out a lot of what you're talking about that you do at Empirical <clears throat> reminds me of a, of a paper that Vanguard wrote about, uh, it's titled Advisors Alpha. So we were just talking about alpha mm-hmm. and connecting the dots here, the idea of um, where, where, where do advisors add value? And I thought, because we have limited time, I'd read kind of the conclusion of this, and then we can come back to the front. Um, yeah, okay. And then and then talk a little bit about, because all the things that they're talking about, we you and I have been talking about for 10 years. Uh-huh. Um, so I I think it's pretty interesting. Um, so if I skip down here to the, the general conclusion, it says the comp the compensation structure for advisors is evolving from a commission uh, and transaction based system to fee based. So in there they talk about the statistics. Now we're up to fifty plus percent fee based versus traditionally it was all commission right right based. And by the end of 2012, they were talking about it being into the 60% range. Hmm. Um, so all, I, I, we, you and I see it all the time. Um, advise, more and more advisors are getting out of the old transaction base as a result of clients you know, losing taste for that. Right. 
While you were out, I was talking about a client who went to the bank, has some cash in the bank, and the banker tried to, or broker in, in the bank was trying to sell him municipal bonds and doing it as standalone advice. Hey, instead of having cash, just buy, you should be buying these muni bonds, uh-huh. right. which is kind of the old model, right? Sure. Hey, I don't really care what else is going, what, what's going on in your financial life, but if we get a commission for selling these. That's what I've got. That's what you need. Right. Um, kind of a, an approach, which is, which is the dying approach to it. Right. Rightfully so. It's a very poor way of, of delivering or investing yeah. and, and taking financial advice. Yeah, in that situation, real quick. I, I, oh, yeah, let's pause momentarily. I'm highly confident that whatever bank this was, they had purchased a large, the bank had purchased a, a large you know, group of these municipal bonds and now have them in their inventory, which they must get rid of, right? They bought them and they, they need that. to sell them. Right. So that's probably the, the main motivation there. It's more of a, you know, exactly, it's the old model of doing business. Hey, we have it. They get a nice. That's, that's what you need. <clears throat> juicy markup, right? Almost. Of course. Yeah. So just real quick on that. I appreciate that. Let's stop drawer. Top drawer. Stop. Um, in our view, so it says the system's going to fee-based asset management. Okay, so that's what we do. We've done for a long time. Uh, in our view, this mutually beneficial transition for clients and advisors. However, the traditional value proposition for many advisors, even those being in the fee-based world, uh, Ethan, yeah. has been on their investment acumen and their prospects uh for delivering better returns than those of the markets. No matter how skilled the advisor, the path to better investment results may not lie with the ability to pick investments or strategies. Historically, active management has failed to deliver on its promise of outperformance over longer investment horizons. Instead, no you want to, what's no surprise there from my, my end anyway. Right. So, so the fact that the model has changed or is changing from commission to fee doesn't mean, and we have referenced this biased uh, study, right, that the advice out there is still biased. Mm-hmm. Um, people are more inclined to pay for bad advice than accept free good advice. At least that's what's been going on. Right. Uh, so the fact that this we're getting to a better compensation model, and maybe this isn't the end. A lot of people in the industry don't believe that uh, this whole, even the fee Based, it will be the end of, of the evolution and how how people get financial advice. But in my view, it is a better way than having random products thrown at you because they pay high commission to the broker sure. or to the to the firm that's recommending them. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but that doesn't mean that all advisors are giving the same type or justifying their their fees the same way. So now what they're saying is, well, the vast majority of advisors have still felt that if I don't offer something that gives the opportunity to beat a particular market, and the way that most of them are doing it is through some sort of market timing or sector rotation or um, allocation rotation. You know, we've talked about some of the firms that are being pretty heavily sold at some of the brokerage companies we know that have based it on their ability to rotate in and out of different asset classes or groups as a way of increasing return and managing risk, for example. Um, they may be in a fee-based model, but now the, the issue is what's the better way to invest? And so the Vanguard study basically says, instead, advisors should consider a new value proposition based on alternative skills and expertise. That is, they should act as wealth managers and behavioral coaches 
providing discipline and experience to investors who need it. On their own, investors often lack both understanding and discipline, allowing themselves to be swayed by headlines and advertisements surrounding the investment du jour. You like a little du jour, don't you? I like the soup du jour. Sure. It's pretty good. Uh, and this, and thus often achieving wealth destruction rather than creation. Right. In the advisor's alpha framework we've described, the advisor becomes an even more important factor in the client-advisor relationship because the greatest obstacle to clients' long-term investment success is likely themselves. So it's about a 10-page report here overall, but if I had to summarize basically what I read is, you know, the for the last X many years, we've shown the the different Dalbar studies on how investors um, have done or fared. Um, we know what the studies are on how professionals who are actively managing have fared over the long ter- term. Mm-hmm. And both of those strategies are inferior to an approach where you have a systematic asset allocation and you use um, broadly diversified, highly tax-efficient, cost-efficient funds rebalance those to a target and make asset allocation, make adjustments as either better and superior investment products come to market, not because the asset class needs to be rotated, but if there is a lower cost or better structured investment um, or the ability to gain access to an investment category that was always viable but but didn't have access to previously. Right. So, for example, you know, more than 15 years ago, we couldn't get passively managed small cap emerging markets, for example. Right. Um, doesn't mean it wouldn't have been a great place to be, but you just didn't have it. Now we do. So we incorporate those into the into the portfolio. So we have a, a, an opportunity to better diversify. We'll take it. Yep. Um, and do it particularly in a very well diversified, tax efficient, and, and uh, in my view, risk managed way, controlled way of doing it. Um, so I don't know if you have any comments on any of that? No, it makes sense. I mean, it's, I, you're, I'd say the same thing. You would, you would say the same thing? I would say the same thing. You, you would, wouldn't you? I would. Um, We're in agreement with that. The difficulty and where the real thing, I think the difference is if, if we know the data, okay, using more passive, lower cost, um, and in our case, we'll use some institutional type of funds to even get a little bit better access to, to those asset classes sure. where we can. Um, and then, and then staying pretty disciplined in it is going to add the most value. But I think most investors, and there's a thing here, it says, um, it says right here, um, uh, answer, let's see, the confusion can grow if advisor based his or her value proposition ability to deliver better returns for, for the client, as many do. But better returns relative to what? For many advisors and clients, the answer would be better than the market, right? Right. So you're interviewing a potential advisor. He's telling you, "Hey, we're going to clobber the market. You know, we're going to crush it. I'm going to add a little more than pay what your ever fee you're paying me on top of it." Right. But a more pragmatic answer, according to the Vanguard, is uh, for both parties might be better than investors would likely do if they didn't work with a professional advisor. In this framework, the advisor's alpha is more aptly demonstrated by his or her ability to effectively act as a wealth manager, financial planner, and behavioral coach, as they talked about. So, in summary, Ethan, 
I think that's the hardest thing to quantify. <laughs> I'm just thinking the same thing. Uh, as an advisor. Sure. Because most people do not want to accept that, even though it is the best way to approach a particular problem, the investment problem. How do I invest and should I be doing it myself? Um, so if you get over the hurdle of, yeah, I shouldn't be doing it myself, now it's how. And we come up against a lot of competitors in the market who are promising very, uh, you know, market beating kind of stuff or, hey, there's not going to be, we're going to manage the risk or whatever it is that sounds really good. Um, again, it's the biased kind of stuff. Right. Sounds really good. But ultimately we know that research is, is on our side that what we're doing is a superior approach. Yeah, no question about it. But it's not as exciting as, as Rick Ferry's article said, right? It's not a great, it's not an exciting fantasy to sell. Yeah, you know, they say that fiction can be fun. It's never more true than in the case of investing. I think people are often swayed by really, um, you know, powerful stories that tell a pretty good story about how this is going to happen, how it will work, how they'll, they'll beat the market. Um, all of it sounds terrific. The issue is that, like I said, fiction can be fun. It's, it's hard to, or impossible to do that day in and day out or year over year over year over year. Uh, and frequently, you don't learn that until it's too late. And the tougher part, I think, is that the, the natural instinct is when your advisor is earning their greatest amount of, you know, uh, whatever it is they're getting, being paid, is at the time where you don't want to take their advice, right? Um the advisor who, when the market's going up in a particular segment, you walk into their office and say, hey, I notice Internet stocks are going through the roof, and there's 10 new funds out that are capturing them that are all up 70% last year. Can we go ahead and buy some? And the advisor says, yeah, I'd be happy to get you into that. I was going to call you. Glad you <laughs> I'm glad you came in because I was just about to call you about that, right? <laughs> right. Is that is that a guy who's or, or a girl that's earning their their keep as an as a financial advisor? Yet they're they're getting huge commissions on that stuff, right? right? Or they're earning tons of new business because of that attitude, as we saw in the article. Or is it the guy that says, or the girl, whoever you know, that may be, mm-hmm. who says when you do come in and say, "Hey, no, that's the worst possible thing for you. It's completely inappropriate. Let's talk about." Let's talk about the overall plan and what we're really trying to achieve here. And that means sometimes it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy. In in good markets, it's not going to be fun when you're not getting the highest returning asset class and your neighbor is bragging about it, right? right? Or everybody in line at the coffee shop is, is, is bragging about how much money they're making hand over fist. While you're doing moderately well in your diversified portfolio, and it's not going to be fun, even if the market's down 60% and your portfolio is only down 20. I've not met a lot of people who are still excited to be about being down 20. Right. It's still not fun. Um, or in the current case we're at, we're day to day, depending on what economic or what piece of news comes out of Europe or who's not feeling well or whatever, the market's moving 200 points at a time. Um, that's not a lot of fun to sit there to let your take the advice and say, "Hey, we got to stick with this. We got to stay disciplined. We got to rebounce. We've got a, this period of time. We've got to give it that entire period for this thing to give us the best chances of working." But isn't that what you should be paying for? Yeah, that's the most valuable thing, right? I mean, that's. I think the difficulty is, in, in part, 
acknowledging to yourself what's the what approach is best for you. And I think if you're honest with yourself, most people would say, hey, I'm better off not doing it myself. I'm better off having some professional guide me on how to do this. And then the question becomes, once you've accepted that, trying to select which advisor is best for you. And I, I think, and you, I'm sure you do too, is somebody who takes the, the whole picture into account when making investment decisions. It's not just investments, but also incorporates the plans and the goals and things you have uh, for you in your life. And they know their market history and they know why sticking to it is the best approach. Discipline, yeah. Right. So I agree with what Vanguard is basically trying to distill in this article. And you can just Google it if you're interested. Just look up Advisors Alpha Vanguard. I think that's it for this week, Ethan. Thanks for joining us for the last segment of the show. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Paracle Wealth Management or uh, Empirical Investing Radio. We'll see you next week. you've enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week